Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Hutton and Withrow with you. We hope you'll check out the show on YouTube. If you're there now, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel. You can check all the shows out that air daily across the vast Outkick Network. If you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you for that as well. And uh, support them and their great station. Six in the Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, uh, Mike Nolan joins us, former 49ers head coach, longtime defensive coordinator in the NFL, and current head coach of the Michigan Panthers in the USFL. He joins us in 20 minutes. Really looking forward to that conversation. Plus, Bobby Carpenter and Clay Travis still to come on the show. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say Mike Nolan to you? For me, it's the... He was the head coach and general manager of the Niners when they passed on Aaron Rodgers in the draft. For me, it's Ty. (laughs) Oh, he wore a tie. Well, I always think about in honor his, of his dad. wardrobe. In yeah. honor of his dad. And the NFL nearly blocked that. Yes. Because they were a Reebok league, and you had to wear Reebok gear on the sideline. Yeah, if you if you ask me, you just say the name Mike Nolan and just do word association. Yeah. First thing I would say is tie. This guy wore a tie on the sideline. And it, he, he, but no one else wore a tie. He wanted to do that to honor his dad. They blocked it at first, and then Reebok made a suit. And Jack Del Rio actually wore it as well after that. Do you wish they went back to more of that, the old school ways? The Tom Landry. Instead of the Belichick. Look on the sideline. Cut off the sleeves look. I just wish there was more variation to Inst- it. Oh, yeah. Like on, uh, yeah, you're right. You know, I just wish there was like people wore Everything's completely ex- different things. Now everything's so uniform yep. with the coach. I- I'd rather the clothes be part of the personality of the coach. Like it was back. Everything I mean, the, is a Think about John game. Madden on the sideline with a short sleeve dress shirt yeah. and the short tie, you know, uh, storming around the sideline. And then Tom Landry looking dapper with the hat, with the tie. I want more of that. Here's what I definitely want in college basketball a return yes. to at least a sports coat with yes. no tie. Like I like the Nate Oates look of sports coat, no tie. Um, Dan Hurley, I think, goes with that most of the time as well. I like that look as opposed to a pullover. A sweatsuit. Now most of the coaches wear a pullover. It's not, you know, they wear like nice pants with it Sometimes. and dress shoes. When they get in these preseason tournaments, they're wearing yeah. anything goes. They could be wearing a hoodie on the side. They look like Bill Belichick on the sideline, some of these college coaches. And you're right about that. It bothers me, though. I, I like now to they, see the coaches that wear suits. Yeah, and they want the, they in the NFL, they want their coaches in the same gear they're selling in the pro shop. So yeah. everyone's in that same gear. It's no, it's, it, there's a reason why they want the players at the first round of the first round at the draft it's and then why they fly them in to their new team it's they want them in the hat they want them in their gear the full so they can sell season tickets you're selling hope because everyone's buying into whatever you're saying is going to work this time of year uh bill belichick doesn't subscribe to that though chad no it's always the hoodie cut off sleeves he's an outlier you know he's a real rebel whatever he wants yeah and he's even this past weekend still trying to you know, screw over the Jets, which he's done plenty throughout his career. And according to an anonymous general manager 
via the Washington Post, and this is through Jason Locke and Fora. So you ask, oh, so Green Bay moved up two spots to 13 overall when they traded Rodgers to the Jets. The Jets moved back to 15. Well, the Patriots picked right ahead of them, and they end up, and, and the, the Jets wanted to boost their offensive line. They knew, the Patriots, knew that the Jets wanted to do that. So they, the, the Patriots moved back, traded with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and according to the GM, the quote is, they should have had to give up a third-round pick and not a four to move up there, speaking of the Steelers. Belichick did it just to F the Jets. He sold low because he knew the Steelers were going to take the kid the Jets wanted to take. So he keeps one of the top offensive tackles out of New York and out of the protection box for Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, he did it on the cheap, and he still ends up helping his team because one of the top players doesn't end up going to the New York Jets. I'm going to do some more word association. I've got one word to describe this move. Awesome. What yeah. a great move. This is, this is gamesmanship. This is sports. This is a team in his division. So if he wants to take the hit and not get a round better in the trade for his own team to screw over a rival that he plays twice a year, I'm all well, for it. And what happened was Pittsburgh moved up. They draft Broderick Jones from, uh, Georgia. from Georgia. And then the Jets end up going with Will McDonald and act like it's who they wanted the entire time. Now, later in the draft, they, you know, they helped themselves on the offensive line, but not in this case because Belichick was playing chess, at least with the New York Jets. Well, it's, it's, the, it's also a calculated error, and you're not getting exactly what you probably could get in return. Right. But you're affecting negatively affecting the other team. So Bill Belichick is saying, me negatively affecting the Jets is outweighs the one round in this draft of a pick that I would get. I love it. If that's your calculation as a coach, and you're trying to hurt your rival – and help yourself well, in return. And you move back, and he's still go got for Christian it. Gonzalez. Yeah, go on for the, it. At corner for, in, in New England. Um, Randall Cobb reuniting with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it, we knew this was going to happen, right? They, we saw Alan Lazard sign early on, and he was like, yeah, I mean, Rodgers is going to be here. I'm not worried about it. I don't think anyone really was. <laughs> um, but Randall Cobb, who was – I mean, if you looked at the free agent wide receiver list – He's right above Julio Jones, and they're like top five in terms of production from last year on what can be expected for a team on the free agent market looking for a wide receiver. I mean, it's bare. And he's one of them, but he was just waiting on the Jets to clear up some space, and he ends up headed to, to New York. And look, Rodgers is bringing in guys with him that he, he trusts. The Packers traded for Cobb from Houston just because Aaron Rodgers wanted him, wanted them to, he wanted more say over the roster. They they complied with that, and here are the Jets doing the same thing. The expectations are massive, and they should be for this Jets team. I can't get over the fact they're in the AFC though. If this team was in the NFC, it's oh, a no-brainer. One of the it's, teams, it's, it would be the team to compete with the Eagles. Yes, no, and, I, I agree with. And you now on that they're one. competing for the playoffs with the Dolphins and the Bills. Yeah, I, I, I love this move also, similar to me loving the, the Belichick move, but it's less about the impact Randall Cobb will make on Sundays and more about the impact Randall Cobb will make with other Jets receivers 
in being able to instruct within that wide receiver room on exactly what yeah. Aaron Rodgers wants, right? But there will be a fourth down that he's going to convert, right? He's going to do something at some point, but point being that it's going to be very little of that at this point in Randall Cobb's career and a lot more of him helping the young Jets receivers to understand Aaron Rodgers and to understand what he's looking for in certain situations. I, I get it. It's he, sort of a it's sort of a coach player. I he think. nearly had 500 yards receiving last year, though. No, I mean Aaron Rodgers trusts him. So they, only he one is, touchdown. He is going to help. My my point is this is not some earth shattering move that's going to elevate the Jets' offense to some new stratosphere because of where Randall Cobb is right now. What it is a guy that Aaron Rodgers explicitly trusts with that offense and to throw him the ball and know where he's going to be that can be there at times if he stays healthy, but also be there to instruct the other Jets receivers that have not played with Aaron Rodgers on exactly what he wants from them. I like the move. Well, and consider this. Nathaniel Hackett's the offensive coordinator. They have Lazard. Now they bring in Cobb. And the imperative point of the offseason is that Rodgers is there for the offseason. And he is. He's there the very next day. He's there on the day one of the NFL draft. He's working out on the field where he can on their own with Garrett Wilson and others, they can take off from week one and roll. Now, if he approached it the way he has the recent seasons, like this past season with the young like Christian Watson and others, this past year in Green Bay, it takes a while to get that momentum going. If he's Not all in, this in case. though? Yeah. This offensive, offensive coordinator he's used to um, and two receivers now he's used to that can, as you're saying, relay the message behind the scenes. And he's suddenly there for the offseason – program he's this is we're getting I think now probably like Aaron Rodgers 3.0 at this point in his career but there is a reboot in progress with him with the Jets and there is a renewed spirit with him of cooperation with that Jets franchise the dude looks 10 years younger Yes. It is scary. No, so how much how of that, he looks now? Even looking at him in the Knicks games, I'm thinking smiling. He looks ten years young. He looks like a different person. How much of that is just the haircut? I think a lot of it's the haircut. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's like some good it's Hollywood deceiving. tricks, right? Yeah. You change your hair, you change your wardrobe, you can look like a different person. A uh, little makeup work done. Yeah. I'm not saying that he's wearing makeup in these photos, but he looks he looks great. Uh, he looks it, the, totally the NFL media is touching up the photos for him. Yeah. They're all being touched up. <laughs> he's got his own makeup yeah. professional before he goes to Madison Square Garden. He's sitting courtside at MSG, and they have a filter on the camera for him. Yeah. Hey, uh, go to the A-Rodge camera. Be, yeah. No, not that one. The, the more high-def one. Yeah. No, no, no. Low-def, but in A-Rodge lens in that filter. That's what we need. Yeah. Let's go to the fake filter, like uh, Instagram or TikTok, and make Aaron Rodgers look like he's 10 years younger because he just left Green Bay. Is there a New York filter? There was a Nashville filter on Instagram. I don't know. We need the we need like a younger version of Withrow right now to tell us if there is. Um, I've got some cousins. We're, I've got a nephew who's we're basically uh, about to just graduate from college. And, and I we're asking ask. Sauce Gardner what's going on on social media. Got a nephew who's about to graduate from college. I could ask him. Maybe he's up to date on. He doesn't post a lot on Insta though. I feel like I post more on Instagram than he does. Chad, uh, you want to get drafted in the NFL? Uh, I would. I would have loved five that stars do years it. ago. Shannon Terry was in last week. Uh, sitting where you're sitting, and I asked him. I said, "What? How does it translate from the five stars in a, in a method and a and a grading and ranking system that they came up with when Shannon started Rivals? Um, how does it relate to today's game and how many first rounders or just draft picks in general 
make their way to the NFL. And it, he told us last week, it's it's a very high number. 81% this past weekend, 81% of the five stars of this class were drafted. And there is a significant drop-off after the second round or after the four stars um, are, are graded out. Here's Shannon from last week. Yep. Rankings. How does it translate to tomorrow night with the guys you'll see? So the facts over the last three years, um, a five-star uh, has been taken. If you're a five-star, you have a 60% chance of being drafted. Okay. Now there are 32 five-stars each year. So they're not many. And 60% chance you will be drafted. So it's, it's, that is 20 times more likely to be drafted in a class. And the data, what's amazing to me is if you look at the data, the last five years, three years, four years, all the way back to 10 years, it's always been in that 60% range. But I do think it's actually going to trend and get more accurate because there's more data, there's more information. Um, you know, the, our scouting process is not really what people think. Here's, here's, the, here's the way it really, really works. We get on the phone and we talk to every assistant coach, every head coach, every scout there is, and they give us an enormous universe and kind of rank them for us. Then, then our scouts go in from there, take the information, and then you know start lining up the position rankings. And then it becomes a position value set. Then it becomes a state value set. You know that way you don't get five kids from Wyoming you know, ever in the top fifteen. It's yep. also how you don't get a center number one. So it's position. You know it starts out as a position from all of this data from these people. So it's it, there's a science behind it, but it's not empirical. And the development, Chad, of from the high school athlete to the pro athlete, the very short amount of time, really, but how your body develops just over the college years. Yeah. And, and once you get into the college program, the five stars are going to the top, the elite of the elite, the NFL of the college football uh, realm. And how it translates three and a half, four years later is remarkable considering that you're judging this based on a, a prediction, a, an evaluation of how you expect they're going to be used and how you expect they're going to develop overall, especially on the offensive and defensive lines. Yeah. Um, Will I, Anderson's I, a great example. He's a five-star, yeah, third overall. I'm honestly surprised that the percentage isn't higher because they do such a good job with only 32 guys as five-stars that 60% of them are drafted. Well, 81 were drafted. 81% yeah, were drafted like this I, past I, weekend. I, the way, because there's so few of them, as Shannon said, the way it's weighted with five stars and they pick so many, so few across the country, I thought that percentage may be more like 70 to 80 that gets drafted of those five-star guys. So it goes to show, I saw the breakdowns from on three of every single star ranking and how many guys were drafted. Huge percentage of, of not percentage, but a big bulk of four-star guys yeah. drafted in terms of numbers. A lot of three-star. I think three-star is the most because there's so many draft picks. There were a few two stars, and I think uh, the rest, like one or no stars, there were a number of those guys too. Highest percentage was definitely five-star guys, but uh, it's interesting seeing the breakdown of how close, and Shannon said this in the interview with you, and I, I went back and heard it, is that it's not an exact science. Right. People that want to criticize and say, and well, the draft. don't act like it's an exact science. Well, yeah, projecting anything isn't always an exact science when you're talking about projecting talent or skill set or whatever. But they have gotten better at it over the years. I mean, the five stars... They haven't perfected it, example, but they've gotten better at the process of evaluation over the years. Five stars in the top five. Bryce Young, Will Anderson, Devin Witherspoon. From that class, 
from that senior high school class. Um, that translates. It, yes. And it, it is a, it's not an exact science, but it is well, a formula that, it, that works. If you go one less level removed and just look at impact on college teams, yeah, you don't have teams winning the national title that aren't loaded with four- and five-star recruits. Some of the best recruiting classes in America, every year you go down the list of the last 15 years – and you're going to find a team that's way up there in the recruiting rankings over four years. Chad, it's not translating, though, for Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. When you compare what Jimbo Fisher has done in recruiting to the number of players that Kevin Sumlin put into the NFL, uh, Kevin Sumlin, over the course of his last five years with the program, they had six players drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. Two were selected in the second round. And Jimbo Fisher has been at... A&M now for five years. Only two players have been drafted in the first or second round. How troubling is this, given the expectations, the salary, and the fact that they're, I mean, they're, they're hyping up recruiting classes year after year to the point last year, Saban's even calling them out for it. It's very similar to John Calipari at Kentucky in that the best thing that can happen for A&M is just grin and bear it yeah. and hope that it works out. Hit on hope, the quarterback. Hope that Bobby Petrino is the elixir that you need to get this offense churning. Because that offense, described by people smarter than me in football as archaic, that they've been trying to run. Bobby Petrino, good offensive mind, can do a lot of different things with a pro-style, more pro-style type offense that Jimbo Fisher wants to run. That's got to help them. Because if not, they're in a tough spot with that contract. I mean... They're going to have to pay up. Jimbo Fisher it, it doesn't really have a boss at Texas A&M. So this is all. We talked to Billy Lucci about it. It's all about him making the right decisions that he wants to change to improve the fortunes of the team. He did that bringing in Petrino. He's made a couple of other changes. If he's able to humble himself and do that, they still have what it takes to get it going at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. If he doesn't and he's stubborn – and he's not willing to change, it's going to be more of the same, and all A&M can do is cut him a huge check and ask him to leave so they can get someone in that will make it work. That's it. It's a win-win. They've really got no, the other, they've got no other course of yeah. action but to sit and just pray that it works with, with Jimbo Fisher because they put all their eggs into that basket. Coming up, we chat with former NFL head coach, current head coach in the USFL, Mike Nolan. He joins us next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mike Nolan will join us in a couple of minutes. Glad you're with us. Across the Outkick Network, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, New Jersey sportsbooks were instructed to halt betting on college baseball games involving Alabama today. Oh, add so another one to the list. It continues. You've got regulations and uh, those uh, the arbiters in, in Ohio that removed uh, Alabama from any wagering process. 
uh, based on an irregular... Uh, something happened in that first game on that Friday against LSU where a pitcher was... The, scratched the, the, the because of a, is, it was a late scratch for a starting pitcher. But we still don't know exactly the reason. But they're investigating suspicious wagering that occurred between Alabama and LSU last Friday. The NCAA is looking into this as well. And meanwhile, everyone's left a- asking questions about, okay, what's going on? Why these specific states, right? And yep. not elsewhere. Because it hasn't been removed, for instance, to my knowledge, and we can check, hasn't been removed in Tennessee, and that's where Alabama plays next on the diamond. will be against Vanderbilt here in Nashville this weekend. This is just a continuation of uh, the heater that Alabama's been on in terms of negative stories yeah. around that program. They've got domestic uh, assault, domestic violence charges against an associate AD hitting right around the same time. Something's up here. This is now three states that have pulled the plug on Alabama baseball. Um, I don't know to what level it's going on. Right. I, I, I need to know just, the connection. If it's just they found some level of inside information coming from someone within the program that's going out to a number of people that's costing the sports books a ton of, a ton of money that they've been able to zero in on, or if it's legitimate weirdness happening in game. Alabama's bad yeah. this year in the SEC, so have they done something in other games? But it looked like it was specific to what happened in the LSU game, which doesn't make sense because they actually played better than most expected. So according to NOLA.com, the suspicious activity concerned two bets. A parlay involving Alabama-LSU and a money line bet on LSU to win. It was placed, and we mentioned this yesterday, it was placed at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Home of the Reds. So it wasn't yeah. like it took place at the, in the state or anywhere near where they were playing at the time. LSU is the best team in the country. They're number one. They were listed as a minus 270 money line favorite. Alabama was plus 220. And apparently this bet came in, this large bet came in on the money line before the line changed with the pitching discrepancy uh, because of back tightness or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, also, I'm also confident in saying bets on college baseball are very small compared to Major League Baseball. So when you have a massive wager come in, you're automatically flagging that, aren't you? Just yes. because of the sport. And it would, be, it would be like us betting pickleball or something. And you're, just, you're certain about whatever's going on, and it's flagged for that. It's why I think that there's going to have to be more transparency in college football, for as an example, with injuries and other things because of the legal betting going on now in America and how it could shift things. They're going to have to put a betting limit, max bet, on college baseball in general because of the problems that this could arise with this. Because, Hutton, is it illegal if someone in the program just called someone and said, yeah, Joey's not pitching tonight. He hasn't pitched all no. week. And he's been scheduled to pitch, but now it's well, going to be a late scratch. Like, think about like, it, and then it if that person ran be, and, and did some parlay, and there will be place more money will, on it. Doesn't that happen all the time? The expectation, yeah. I mean, the expectation is, oh, something nefarious happened from the program. The program could have just told the radio crew, "Hey, get this, get this guy ready because he's he's starting today. We're having to pull this guy." And then you you text whatever, and then you text the producer, and the producer relays something. Again, hi, all hypothetical. We have no idea. 
But it doesn't mean that Alabama's involved in this. They could be, but it doesn't mean they are. They're looking at specifically two bets, a parlay. And I, I, what we don't know is the amount that was wagered. They refuse to tell us because it's an active investigation. Um, and number two, if it's the same person or were they separate bets from different accounts? Don't know that either. But, I mean, if, if you're just looking at it from a common sense perspective, and if you're on the road at home, whatever it might be, and you're about to broadcast a game, you want to know who's going to take the mound. And if there's a late scratch, you're probably, on the, on the broadcast crew, one of the first to figure it out. Again, I'm just tying that in because of the information that can be swapped around before it even gets to the next level, which would be changing an actual line based on a pitching matchup. I just think it's a sport in general that could lead itself to some issues with this. No Not just doubt. Alabama baseball. But you that, can't bet on everything yeah, in college it's, baseball, Yeah, it's like right? betting on the Oscars. You can't you know, bet on the something. run line. You, you, there, you can only bet the you money line. You can only line. bet on the money line, and that's all they allow. But Yeah, but they also flagged a parlay involving other games on the money line. Yeah, all you bet. but it involved that game specifically. Yeah, They were that confident in it. Mike Nolan is the head coach of the Michigan Panthers, off to a great start. They just debuted in uh, their home state for the first time in years, and uh, he's back as a head coach for the first time in years. Coach Nolan joins us now. Mike, great to have you on the show, man. Hope things are well. Thank you. Things are very good. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. How, how is it being a head coach again? <laughs> well, it's different uh, than it used to be from the standpoint of the league, really more than anything else, but it's been a lot of fun. I, I will say this. I'm enjoying this a lot more than I enjoyed it the last time <laughs> for a lot of different reasons, but uh, primarily because the the uh, I really enjoy the players. Um, they've been outstanding. It's a great group of guys. They've you know they got a lot of goals ahead of them and trying to make it back to the NFL if they can, and, and we've got a really good group of guys that I think several of the guys will have that chance. But uh, all in all, it's really – you know, the players have been great, and also the staff and all the people that have been associated with the league have been really tremendous. So it's been it's been really good. Chad and I were, were heavily involved last year behind the scenes as the ramp-up began for the first, you know, kickoff. Several coaches turned down the opportunity. Other coaches were like, yes, I'm in. Let's get in this. I, let's let's coach in the USFL. What what convinced you that this was the right time to to jump in and do this? Well, I've been out of football for a couple of years, um, and I think the thing that uh, was most intriguing was uh, what our players uh, what our players are in it for, you know, and and that is they're all pretty much in it because they love football and uh, and they want to get another shot. Most of them, anyhow, I would I would say just about every one of them, and that didn't just just doesn't go for the players. It also goes for the coaches that are on my staff. You know, a lot of those guys are trying to find their way into the NFL. So um, I really felt like it, it'd be a great opportunity for me to get back into coaching and uh, coach and try to help some people out, I guess you could say. And, and for me, it really is uh, as maybe crazy it might sound, but for me, I really feel like I'm, try I'm trying to give back as best I can. The, the NFL was great to me for over 30 years, for 34 years, as a matter of fact. And um, like I said, I was out of it, but the opportunity to maybe give back was intriguing to me. And it's, it's been most enjoyable since I've been here. And it was a cool atmosphere. I know it, you like to win the game. But I mean, yeah, you've got right. <laughs> uh, it's back in Detroit. You've got Calvin yeah. Johnson there, among other celebs that are around the, yeah. the, the to bring up the whole you know pageantry of what's going on with the USFL being back. That's got to be cool for for that city, for that state, and uh, for for the players to have that support. 
You're right. Um, and uh, it, look, it was an exciting atmosphere. Uh, the crowd was into it. We didn't give them much to cheer about early on, but then it became a game for about three quarters until the end where they, they got another explosive on us, and which was uncharacteristic of our defense in the first two games. We've done an outstanding job. Uh, obviously, we won those two games. We played very well, um, but we just we didn't play as well early in that game, and it put us behind the eight ball. Uh, which which affected our entire football team. But again, we got within eight points for much of the game and thought we were going to be right back in it. Um, so there was a big disappointment for me as, as far as, and for our whole entire team, as far as not uh, performing better on the on the home stage, which we had. But but look, we've got a lot more home games coming up. And uh, and I, I truly believe we'll redeem ourselves as far as that goes. We just, I'm hopeful of this. I'm hopeful that the game kind of taught us something about who we are. And what that is, is the first two games, that's who we thought we were. But uh, you're always capable of having the kind of game we had the other day if you don't pay close attention to the detail things. And uh, I'm very hopeful that that's what we learned out of that. Because if we did, um, we'll go back to our winning ways like we had the first couple weeks. And uh, and hopefully that's what happens. Hutton mentioned that we were uh, really involved a year ago with everything going on with the USFL and saw the inner workings of that hub there in Birmingham. And every game that year was played in Birmingham. What is the, the work week like for you right now, Coach, in terms of some of the back and forth and the way things have gone early in this season with trying to get guys ready for these games, travel involved, everything else. What's it been like from your perspective? Well, first off, I wasn't at Birmingham. Not that you said this, but I wasn't oh, yeah. at Birmingham last year. Yeah, I but, I, but I do but I do understand, um, you know, all the things they went through. We're going through the same types of things here, but not to the degree that they did last year. When you have eight teams at one hub, I can only imagine what it was like for those guys. And if you guys saw it firsthand, then, then you would know. But uh, we, we share the site naturally with the uh, stars, the Philadelphia stars. And uh, but but that has not been any issue, really. It's been it's I think it's gone along pretty smoothly for the most part. They practice early. We practice a little bit later. Um, we practice at the same site over at Eastern Michigan. And by the way, those people have been great to us. Um, and so we share that. But uh, as far as other things, I guess you have to be ready for certain things. We had we've had some glitches here and there as far as travel from time to time, but nothing that kept us from playing the game. And ultimately, that's what we're here to do. So we have to work around things as far as scheduling goes. If, if the weather gets bad, and we have to go to an indoor facility or, uh, or whatever it might be. You know, maybe the buses are late or something like that. But uh, in the end, we get there on time or at least in time enough to, to do our practices. And like I already said, as far as the games go, um, you know, we get there and uh, we play the game. And, and that's that's really the part you look forward to. Everything else is kind of peripheral, but uh, we've been able to to make it work thus far. And it's like I, like I've said many times, it's really been enjoyable. Mike Nolan with us. He's the head coach of the Michigan Panthers in the USFL. So one of the jarring aspects for me, coach, was the advantage that the defensive line has in the USFL. Because if you can, if you're athletic at all and you play offensive line, you're on a practice squad now in the NFL doing something. And in the on the defensive line, to me, the most athletic in the trenches players were always on defense. Uh, as a defensive-minded coach, you have to be thrilled with that, don't you? <laughs> well, you say defensive minded, but I'm now I'm a head coach. Okay. So I'm, re- I'm <laughs> You're still defensive minded. I'm 50 50. You're 50 percent happy. You're 50% right in defensive. <laughs> you are right in what you're saying. Although, um, obviously, the objective for me now is to win more than anything else. Sure, but anyhow, yeah. it's uh, I would say that uh, you're correct in what you're saying about the linemen. It's it's really tough in this league and in, in this thing to get good offensive linemen. Um, and the same goes a little bit for defensive linemen, but not quite as much. 
which you pointed out. And I think that's because um, you can find a little bit more athleticism that just didn't have the, uh, the the mental makeup quite yet or the maturity to play in the NFL, but they got a lot of physical yep. things, their attributes that are really good. On the offensive line, as you've already stated, um, you know it's you're it's it's hard to find big, strong, mean guys that 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 want to play offensive line. But but we've we've got a good line though. I mean, I, I'll say that we've got a good line. But the thing that hurts you the most is when you get injuries on the O line. It's hard to replace them. Coach, if if I were guessing, I would say your favorite defense was at some point in Baltimore. I, am I right in thinking that, or is there a different group that you would point to initially? Uh, my two favorite groups were Baltimore for sure, and then uh, the Giants. When I went there, we still Lawrence Taylor still had a year left, and that nice. first year we were there. Matter of fact, we set the the uh, we set the record for the Giants and uh, least amount of points that year. But it, believe me, it was it was a lot of really good players that that were uh, tough as nails. So those two teams, though, without question, the Giants and the Ravens were the two defenses that I. Thoroughly enjoyed. When we were at the Ravens, we had Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Suggs, and and we now we drafted a couple of them while I was there. Ray was already there, but um, that was a that was a really a, a special group as well. We did some word association earlier, and I said whenever I hear the name Mike Nolan, the first word that comes to mind is tie, uh, because I think of you as the coach in the suit <laughs> and tie at a time yeah. where it was not fashionable, like it was many years ago in the NFL, and it was a big part of your personality as a coach. Any any thoughts of, of bringing that look back, Coach, on the USFL well, sidelines? You know, this is this is the truth. I'll wear a suit when the hair comes back. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. But it, it, there, there was something about it, though, that there was, you know, uh, I'm sure you growing up watching different coaches sideline, their wardrobe was a part of the personality of that coach and sometimes, in a weird way, the personality of that team. You would kind yeah. of associate with what, the way the coach presented themselves and the way they dressed, I know you did it as a tribute to your your father, your late father. Now, um, yeah. was that the sole thinking behind it, or was it also kind of a part of the personality? Yeah, and thank you for remembering him, by the way. But um, it, uh, you know, I did it for the right reason. The people, the, my mentors, Dan Reeves was probably my primary mentor outside of my father, as far as coaching goes, and he wore a suit till the day he quit coaching. Um, and so it was worn for that reason. I also felt it was a good reason to wear it because the 49ers at that time, when I first went there, um, really had had a lot of down years, about six or seven down years and things weren't looking good. We had a lot of things to do. So I thought it'd be, you know, something positive that would kind of be brought to it. And like, I'm not a really big guy. So wearing a suit for me is, is actually more comfortable than it would have been for say an Andy Reid or somebody that's a bigger man. Um, and, uh, so I try to take advantage of the, of the opportunity just to, to show a little class, to bring some class back to an organization that, that was, um, you know, that was, that was kind of top notch in that area at one point in time. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, Jack Del Rio jumped on board too, after he had done it. And, uh, uh, Jack's a bigger fellow, big, good looking guy that, you know, wore the cert real well. So that worked out well for him. What happened to that Reebok suit? <laughs> you know, by the way, Reebok came in and they laid out a whole thing on the table when it all first started back in 2005 and said, all right, let's piece this thing together. How are we going to do this? In other words, they were trying to be suit makers. <laughs> and I said, look, guys, we'll just put a, a little Reebok patch inside. <laughs> but but I got another guy that's going to make my suit for me. OK, I got <laughs> I got a guy that can do this. And uh, so after after going round and round with them, for some reason, they really wanted to be the suit maker. <laughs> 
Um, I said, this isn't going to work, guys. You're not going to make it look. It's not If it looks bad, you don't want Reebok's name on it. So I said, well, I got to go. So anyhow, that's what we did. We ended up, I had a guy that uh, had been doing my suits for a while anyhow. So he, uh, we did that, stuck a little Reebok patch in there. And sure enough, it became a Reebok suit. <laughs> this is a true story. I have a buddy who's got a tailor in Hong Kong. And he just he sent a text to a couple of uh, me and a couple of friends and said, "My tailor from Hong Kong is going to be in Nashville this week. <laughs> if you guys want a nice suit, and I'm thinking this sounds like a crazy movie storyline." The Hangover was your tailor also out of Hong Kong, out of Italy, <laughs> or was this a local tailor that you that you like? <laughs> no, it was matter of fact, it was Joey. Joey's his name, and he's he's in New York. Um, and I met Joey somewhere along the line. I can't remember where when I was probably coaching back east. But uh, no, it was it was it wasn't anyone overseas. It was someone that I did know, and uh, and he was he was a good person. Good became a good friend. Is like, the suit now in your closet still? Did, did you, you just keep it? it? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell on somebody here really quick. All okay. right, there was one of the guys on my staff that was uh, um, very close to me still to this day, and I gave him when I when I got fired at the 49ers, I gave him two or three of the suits. And uh, and he had them retailored to fit him, and he still wears them to this day. I got fired in 2007. <laughs> wow. And with the Reebok patch on the inside and everything, right? <laughs> he, every time I see him and he's on the road, I, I swear to you, he'll pull it open and look, and it's still got my name because it had Reebok and then had my name on it. He's showing he goes, look, you there. And I think, oh, my God, you, you got, I got I to gotta buy you a new suit. That There's guy no owes way you. you're still wearing the suit. That I guy think what he does, he, yes, he, he, just, he just wears it when he knows he's going to see me. He can't, he can't be wearing that thing all the time. Mike Nolan, yeah. our guest on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. 18 years later, Coach, when you see Aaron Rodgers now in New York, how much do you regret passing on him in San Fran? <laughs> That's, I've never been asked that way about it. But, uh, you know, look at um, – he's. Uh, I wish I had known he was going to be the Hall of Fame player he is because – both quarterbacks turned out to be good, but there's no question that Aaron Rodgers is one of the top three or five quarterbacks of all time. And so, therefore, I have to, I have to say it was a mistake um, that we didn't pick him. I mean, everybody that chose prior to the Green Bay Packers at 20-something that did take him made the, mistake, the same mistake we did. But uh, obviously, we had the first pick in the draft that year and didn't take him. But uh, we did entertain him, and he was, the, he was the second choice if we didn't take, you know, Alex Smith, who we did take. Um, and like I said, Alex turned out to be a very good quarterback in the NFL as well, but not, you know, there's, like I said, I mean, there's only a few that have turned out like Aaron Rodgers. And uh, so, yeah, I have some regrets about not taking them, but uh, I'm happy for him though. I'll say this, it, it did him more good going to green Bay than it would have, if he had come to San Francisco playing behind Brett Favre, like he did, I think was one of the, one of the things that really made him a great player as well. Cause Brett was that, and Brett had some things in his game that, that uh, Aaron has had, had since kind of taken into his own game and kind of added it to his repertoire of things that he did and the style in which he played. And he got, he got some of that from, from Brett. So I think, you know, that's uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm really happy for him and it turned out great for him and even better because he played behind a, a hall of famer in, in Brett Favre. I think that this is an important answer for fans to hear as an NFL team. Do you ever give any consideration or talk to, where a player is from. Because Aaron Rodgers from the Bay Area, played in the Bay Area. We're always trying to instruct fans that NFL teams aren't looking at that. They're trying to just draft the best player, and they're not looking at where someone is from and where the team is at the time where they are in the NFL. Do you ever talk about that as, a, as an NFL staff when you're bringing someone in? I think as a decision maker, um, 
it and depending, I guess, depending what level you are in the organization, um, it might enter your mind a little bit because there's some truth about that, that it is talked about. Um, and because if they're from the same area, uh, there's, you know, a little bit more attention given to that player. So sometimes you even get ownership involved when things like that come about where they'll say, you know, I want this player for this and this reason, if, if that's the case. And I, I don't deny that 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 has happened before. Um, can I say that I've been a part of it? Not really, but I think I've seen that. Uh, there is a lot of truth, though, to the fact that people, some people do target uh, players from certain schools um, for different reasons than what we're talking about. And that's not the question you asked, but but that does happen often where somebody will target LSU players or Alabama players or players if they're looking for linemen they'll they'll try to get people from the from the north up in the in the Big 12 as it used to be things like that because they feel those are the better players for their team. I when I was at New York there was a little bit of targeting going on I felt at times but for good reason because you can't just bring anyone into New York and say they're going to be a good player because they were in college because New York can destroy some guys if they aren't mentally strong and that's the truth of the matter. Um, if you bring anyone weak into New York, mentally I'm talking about, and they're at a, a premier position like quarterback, you better make sure they're strong-minded because New York will get on you fast, and if you're not strong, you're going to crash and burn, and you might be a great player, but not there. So there's some truth to, to places you know, where it means something as far as where you're from and what you can handle. Coach, what's coming up for your team? And uh, when we watch the Michigan Panthers, what do you hope we take away from a Mike Nolan coach team? Um, I hope you take away that we play fast, we play physical. Um, outside of being about points, we're about trying to get the ball. Um, and I hope that's what you see, uh, because I think that's who we were for the first two weeks of the season, without question. And uh, we weren't that for 60 minutes the other day. Um, we were that for a little while, but not 60 minutes. And avoid the drone. That's the other thing that Chad and I had to figure out was that the humming sound of the drone that moves around these games is uh, is kind of crazy. Um, and hopefully the football doesn't hit it as well. Uh, coach, <laughs> this has been great. We've got plenty more uh, from the history of, of the defenses you've coached. I got to at some point ask you how you became a wide receiver coach for one year in Baltimore. Uh, <laughs> okay. and, and much more. Um, hopefully you'll join us down the road as the season progresses. I'll be happy to, guys. Always, it's a pleasure. Thank awesome. you. Thank, Thank you, you, Coach. There's Mike Nolan. Uh, great visit there. Uh, former uh, Oregon Duck. As he's well. got to get that Three suit back starter. from his buddy. That just he lent it to him, and he's been yeah. wearing it ever since. The Reebok suit. Got to get it back. That wasn't even a Reebok suit. How about that reveal? It was made by Joey that, in New York City, and they just put a fake Reebok logo on the inside. Doesn't of it. surprise me. And yeah. guess what? Reebok made the right decision by allowing Mike Nolan to have his tailor make the suit. Yes. Coming up. ESPN, they're retailing, uh, shuffling up the broadcast booth for Monday Night Football uh, for the second crew. We'll explain coming up on Hot Mike. Great conversation there with Mike Nolan. Uh, hopefully he'll be back with us later uh, as the USFL season progresses. Uh, they take on Memphis this coming weekend. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Chad, a shakeup for the Monday Night Football booth. Not with, not what you're thinking with uh, Joe Buck or Troy Aikman. How, how often do they have the second booth? Once? Well, no, not with the new contract. There oh, will be five right. different games, yeah. including the international game, uh, the extra playoff game now that they'll have. 
there are five games throughout the calendar year for the NFL season where Aikman and Buck will not be on the call because they'll be doing something else with the NFL for the network. And it's going to be Chris Fowler now as the lead play-by-play host. And then you, you have play-by-play Chris Fowler along with Lewis Riddick and Dan Orlovsky on the broadcast. Steve Levy was in that post. He's going back to hosting duties, which he does a great job with when he's hosting something. Uh, I don't. I mean, Fowler, of course, the lead play-by-play man for college football with Herb Street. I mean, they've... He was rumored to be on the chopping block whenever they let it had all these budget cuts right now because he had a year left remaining on his deal and they've added this to the plate and it's clear that he's extended the the contract which was he was on the back end of what was a thirty million dollar contract over a long period I think a nine year thirty million dollar deal um, he is one of the guys Chad I hope he never leaves ESPN just from the college game day. Structure. Yeah, he's a he's a lifer. He is synonymous with ESPN. I think with all, of, and his tennis tennis work also on ESPN. Yeah, yes, he's he's an ESPN. Yeah, and and just back in the day with him on game day, you're thinking this this is impactful. Well, now he's on crew number two, and he wants to do a lot more play by play. But he's number one in our hearts. Now he has the chance to do it at the NFL level. Bobby Carpenter next, then Clay Travis. <laughs> 